Welcome to a new episode of the Creative Industry Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby. For the second course of our chaos menu covering FX's The Bear, we have the plated appetizer cinematographer Adam Newton Bearer, who joins us to talk about his work on the pilot episode and the episode in season two titled Honeydew. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So let's let it rip with Adam. Hi, Adam. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Glad we managed to sort something out. Uh, We're here to talk about the pilot episode of The Bear. And if we're lucky, maybe talk about a Honeydew episode in season two as well. But I think we'll probably mainly stay on the pilot, but I might have one or two questions about the Honeydew episode as well later on. But let's see if we have enough time for that. I guess before we sort of start from the beginning, like how have you found the reception of the show? Yeah, I mean, uh, the show was obviously super well received and I'm very grateful for that. I think uh, the second I read the script, I knew it was going to be a hit. And I myself love cooking. I love food. I'm really fascinated in that industry, in that world. So I was really excited about it. And people just seem to really love it. It's funny. I, I know people in the food industry who actually find it a little bit triggering and traumatic to watch, but I think in general, such a human story, such an endearing story. And I feel like people have really responded to it well. And that feels awesome. Yeah. I think it's one of those shows that kind of has hit at the right time. Like during the pandemic, we had something like Ted Lasso where it was quite feel good and you could, I don't know, you could just like sort of disconnect from what was going on around the world. And then now something like this is coming. It's just like, uh, it feels like a DIY, like punk band has just come into mm-hmm. like the TV world and has unleashed like a, their, their sort of like 30 minute album. And it's just sort of <laughs> rocked everybody at the same time. Yeah, I love it. That's a, that's a great analogy. I love that. And I think that's like, that's very much a way of, how the show looks and feels uh, but we'll get to that in a moment but what I'm curious about is how did the project come along uh, come about and what made you want to take it on I got the script because I had met with Hiro Mirai and Nate Madison a couple a year or two prior uh, just to have like a meet and greet because I loved everything they were making I was a huge fan of Atlanta and just Hiro's body of work and sort of just sought them out and told them that I wanted to be involved with whatever they were doing. And my agent and I really kind of kept tracking what projects they were making. And finally, this came up and they sent me the script, the pilot, and I read it and immediately was just like, this is an absolute hard yes, which is kind of rare to find material that just stands on its own. You know, I hadn't met with Chris, the director, yet. Uh, I didn't know a lot about Chris as a director because he was mainly a a producer and sort of, you know, has been in the industry a long time, is super accomplished, but didn't have a ton of work that I had seen that he had directed. But as soon as I read it, I could tell the vision was so clear and the writing was just so good that I knew I wanted to do it. So I kind of just went in swinging to the meeting and 
really came with a strong vision and a lot of enthusiasm. And fortunately, Chris and I really hit it off and just kind of ran with it from there. I guess like when you do meet those producers and I guess with Chris as well, it's like like producing, directing, music supervising, probably helping out with the food cooking as well and all all the other things that he probably does on set. I think once you sort of vibe with someone and know that something's going to be, when you read something on the page, that's very good. Then I guess it's a really good inclination to be like, you want to sort of push to get involved with it and be able to help out as much as possible. Yeah, totally. I think um, as soon as I met Chris, I knew that it was going to be a good fit. And, you know, he just came with a lot of really amazing, positive energy and was really open and receptive to my ideas and just felt like a great collaborator. I felt very like safe entering that space. And I knew that he was going to be able to sort of pull the best from everybody. And I think that's really one of the biggest tricks of being a director is just harnessing everyone's skill around you and Chris does that so well I wonder how like you can be taught something like that because if you're getting everybody to pull in the same direction I guess if you're the master of the ship so we say you want everybody to be pulling in that right direction so you sail in the right way but I guess with so much going on in terms of looking after actors and putting probably a lot of pressure on yourself as well with a pilot to make sure that you can create the best thing possible to then get it picked up probably takes like a large toll on yourself as well and have sleepless nights but if you're managed to sort of juggle all of that and then also actors and getting the right performances like there must be like i just picture him drinking like the michael jordan drink in uh (laughs) space jam where they sort of like are you play like him and that's what i'm sort of picturing if he's going to be able to if he's going to be doing stuff like that Yeah, I mean, I think that every director has a different approach to how they create. And Chris leads with a lot of confidence and enthusiasm and energy and positivity. And I think just makes everyone feel like they belong there in in a way that is very um, grounding and very just sort of personal and human and intimate. So not only are you working together, but you're friends and you're eating together and you're spending time together and every idea is valid and everyone gets heard. And I think he leads by collaboration. And I think some directors do less of that. Some directors just show up and they tell you what they want. And I tend to work a lot less with those types of directors because I find that I don't really thrive in that environment. But um, yeah, Chris just really would field any idea and be very quick to answer with how he felt about it in a way that was really respectful and inclusive. So that makes it easy in some ways for him because I think he was always on board with the best idea winning, you know, whether it was his idea or somebody else's. And it really inspired me on set, you know, to to not be stubborn and to listen to everybody. And there'd be times where, you know, one of the actors would have an idea for how the shot should play out or how the blocking should go. And we would listen to that and hear it. And a lot of times it was the better idea. And it was a very egoless set in that way and made it really liberating in a way because it's, you know, it's fun to work in a situation where you don't have to be the person with the best idea on set and it sort of takes a weight off your shoulders. And I think in that way, everyone was able to give insight and ideas to everyone about what they were doing, whether it was 
me giving ideas for blocking or, you know, an actor giving an idea for a shot, you know, so things like that, that really, um, it's really fun and liberating and makes me think outside of my normal approach. I think it's quite fascinating too about how everybody's involved, especially when it comes to uh, sort of like shot choices. And when I guess this kind of comes into one of my questions about like the usage of space and how like there's there's quite in the show there is quite a lot of movement, but there's also movement of actors running around in the kitchen and um, sort of general chaos. So uh, so when you get a suggestion from an actor, for example. Uh, how does that play out with the blocking and rehearsal of it? Is it a case of more of them sort of with their input as because they know their character, they know what they want to sort of achieve. They sort of, I guess they're communicating with you of how to sort of present it onto the screen. But then how do you go about implementing those ideas? I think it's a, it's a dance. And for me, it's just sort of this back and forth where and where we're constantly synthesizing what the other person is saying and translating it in our brain into something that makes sense to us and that we can work with. I think a good way to think of it is like the yes and idea where someone gives you something and you say yes and instead of no, but this doesn't work for me or no, but I was thinking of it this way. It's yes and also this works great for my shot. Or if you stand over there, move over here, then it's make it even more dynamic. So I think it was always like an additive process where we try to hear each other out and we can, we can talk about what's working and not, you know, what's not working about a shot, but it's not in terms of like, you need to fix this for me. It's in terms of like, I, I'm hitting a roadblock or I'm not lit for that corner of the space or camera can't get over there fast enough, or it would require too much coverage to do this. And so we're kind of constantly just going back and forth and saying, well, what about this? What about that? And I think it all happens very quickly. You know, a lot of the conversation is happens sort of unsaid in a way where we're just at a certain point, you create, you develop a language where you know what works and what doesn't work. But um, with the bear, you know, we were in a pretty contained environment. So I think everybody knew more or less like what was going to work, what wasn't going to work. And I showed the actors a lot of the tools we were using. um, So they understood like where I could go, what I, you know, what I wanted the camera to do, how I wanted it to move. And so I think they started to understand that and we started to work together to develop a language where the camera could kind of dance with the actors. And there were times where, you know, I would make it very clear to them that we wanted to make a meal out of a scene shot wise, like Chris and I, we would be like, we want, there's going to be a lot of shots in this moment because we want to have a lot of quick cuts or because we just want it to feel really dynamic. And then there are other moments where we knew it could play out in fewer shots. And so we try to like, I usually try to like let actors know, because sometimes, you know, you get lost in the sauce and all of a sudden you're on like the 12th insert shot of a scene and the actors are standing there wondering what the hell's going on. But um, I, I love to have a dialogue with the actors so they understand why we're doing what we're doing and why there's 15 shots of their hands doing the same action, if that makes sense. Yes, because you have a certain amount of time to get stuff in your day, but then also it's not like... A, a, not annoy someone is probably not the right word but it's the sort of as you said like what's the reasoning behind doing so many um why are we doing so many takes you know what is it that i'm doing right or wrong in what's going on but i think as well as you said if you're i think something like with close up of hands chopping food for example 
there's probably a certain way that needs that needs to be captured or how somebody will be moving um just because there's times that somebody might cut something slightly wrong but then also it's the getting that sort of energy every time of what's happening in the kitchen compared to what you're trying to tell and as part of the story and i think i think that's what i'm sort of trying to get uh, understand from your answer as well is the there's always going to be a reasoning behind it it's not a case of just like oh yeah i'm gonna be i'm just gonna ask you to keep doing this until you get cramp in your hand or rsi or carpal tunnel no it's it's, yeah it's really specific and i think every as wild and loose as the show the pilot felt it was very calculated and very intentional and every shot is shot listed you know and every camera move is thought of in advance not to say that it doesn't evolve on set because everything evolves on set and gets better on set but yeah it was all very intentional and i think bringing that intention to set helps everyone fire at all cylinders and understand what's going on yes and i think as well like probably comes down to with chris being uh, being so close to the material because he's written it as well but he will Mm -hmm. know it like this the back of his hand so he'll know exactly what he wants on the day so it doesn't you don't sort of lose time trying to figure out what's happening in the scene yeah exactly yeah and i think um in general chris moves very fast you know he's a he likes to move through things quickly so like a lot of times it would be me fighting for for more coverage or another take or wanting to do it better and i think i had to find the balance of you know, I tend to be a perfectionist and I had to let go a little bit and be like, okay, that move wasn't perfect or that shot wasn't totally in focus. But it's more important to the feeling of the show that we move on to the next setup than it is to spend an extra 10 minutes on this shot because he used the first take anyways. And I think that's like a lot of what I do is I've realized as I, the more I do this is reading the room and understanding the energy of the set and knowing when to fight for something or when to know that it's not my, it's not about me and it's not about everything being totally perfect with what I'm doing, but rather serving the process and making sure everybody is like getting what they need. If that makes sense. And I think that's, that's the big part of it is like letting go of your ego a little bit and knowing when to, just shut up and move on to the next setup or to really put your foot down and say, no, we need this insert. No, we need another take of this, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's quite funny that you'll use the first take um, knowing that he knows what you want. Um, But I think as well, like what I'm curious about is that because there is so much movement and you're shooting in such a tight space, like how do you plan your shots and the lens choices that you'll be using is there a lot of storyboarding of the sequences or is it a case of we only just have this square room, let's shoot shoot as much as we possibly can inside it? Yeah, I think um, for the bear, I mean, it's different on every project. I think, you know, there are certain films where we do a ton of storyboarding. With the bear, we didn't really have a need to do a lot of storyboarding. I think we maybe storyboarded like the very opening sequence, but even then I'm not sure that we did. But um, yeah, storyboarding was not a big part of our process. We definitely shot listed everything as best we could before we went in, just so that we knew what kind of moments we really wanted to focus on and hit. But really where the shots kind of presented themselves were on set when we were rehearsing. You know, we would run the scene, Chris, the actors, would find the blocking. I would help with that where I could. 
and then we would just run the scene over and over again. And I would just be in the kitchen watching it and moving around and moving around the space and just trying to find a way to see the scene as dynamically as possible. Um, and when we were on set shooting, the operators would be next to me, kind of watching me and then also running around the room themselves. And after we we're done rehearsing, we would sort of powwow and I would present my ideas, the operators would present their ideas. We'd talk about it, we'd talk about the actors, talk about what it meant for them. And then we would just start shooting and see how it worked. And usually it worked pretty well because we had a language and sort of relationship evolved, you know, that had evolved with the actors and the camera operators. But, um, you know, we would just start shooting and then see what we were missing and, you know, add here and there. But in general, it was sort of this mix of very, coming with a lot of intention in terms of like how the camera moves and what lensing we're using and finding ways to make it better as we were rolling the camera. It's quite interesting though that there's no, there's not you know trying to more figuring it out on the day and working out where it's going to go. Because I guess well I, I guess with certain projects you're always going to have certain people or storyboard uh, with an inch of its life of how scenes go. But I guess if you're in an area that you're constantly going to be working in, you can always pick up on what needs to be done and where you go from there. Really. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. You know, everything was shot listed. Like we wasn't, we didn't go in without a plan. And I think that's like, that's important to understand is that we came in and I, I'm a firm believer that, and I think a lot of cinematographers are firm believers that like you come in with a plan so that you feel confident enough to throw it away when you need to. Right. So if you come in with a shot list, you know what you, the story you need to tell, you know how you want to tell it more or less. And then once you're there, you find ways to make your shot list better. It's like every time you, approach the shot list, it should become better. And when you're working in an office with a director, you know, we can do quite a bit with, you know, having a floor plan of the restaurant and talking about where actors are going to move. But as soon as an actor shows up and starts doing the scene and they're like, this really does, this blocking doesn't work or like it feels wrong or I can't get from this into that end fast enough or everyone just feels like it doesn't work, then all of a sudden your shot doesn't work and you have to think on your toes and figure it out and change it. And so I think having an idea of what you want to do and an intention allows you to then be flexible and say, okay, let's throw this away, but go with that same intention and, and emotion and apply it to a new shot. You're mentioning as well, like with being in like those sort of spaces and working on the shots and then potentially changing it, a lot of it does take place in one location, uh, the kitchen area, and then also the serving area. What are discussions like with other departments when it comes to this? Because like one that one that does come to mind is something like production design, where I guess they'll be sort of designing and then building the set. But then also, like, do you talk to them about where you can put and hide lights so that you can light the scene as well? Um, just because it is a tight area. But then also. Like what are the discussions of somebody like the sound department for them to get a, a boom into the uh, into the desired area without it getting into shot? Yeah, I mean, as far as the production design goes, we spent a lot of time scouting with Chris, the director, and Sammy, the production designer, and we saw a lot of kitchens because we, when we shot the pilot, we needed a practical location. Um, they weren't going to build a location just for the, build a set just for the pilot. And I think that was actually to our benefit because we found a real kitchen that worked for us and it felt real and it kind of, it actually really informed how we shot it. And I think that was important to the feeling of the story. 
we were looking for a kitchen that was as dynamic as possible. The one we found had that great kind of center island area. So the kitchen became this sort of like circle or lollipop shape where people could be moving around in circular ways, moving away and then back in. There was sort of like a heart of the kitchen and then they could move away from the heart and move back in. And I thought that worked really well. That was something that I think all of us were looking for. And it gave us a lot, it gave me a lot of places to put the camera where it felt really embedded and we didn't have to have actors facing away from each other and facing walls to talk to each other. I think that was a big thing was trying to figure out ways where we, they weren't constantly working with their back to the center of the kitchen. You know, it was nice having that center island because they could all regard each other and talk while working. And yeah, as far as putting camera places, I was just sort of, I sort of just acknowledged that we were going to have a hard time putting the camera anywhere. So we worked with a small camera setup a really small Cobra dolly, which was awesome. And then we just kind of worked with what we had, you know, and tried to keep it as sleek as possible. And we were really intent on not doing any steady cam in the space for the pilot. So we did a lot of stuff on dolly, but knowing that dolly track was going to be a pain, we just rolled directly on the floor and just accepted the fact that it was going to be really bumpy and it worked really well for the show, I think. In terms of like the shooting on location more as well because you're in uh one that's not really purposely built uh does that make it a little bit harder for you to light it and shoot it just because it's like you can't technically take out parts of the wall to put in a yeah uh, a light or something for example totally. yeah i think it definitely poses a challenge but it's also sort of liberating because you're just sort of beholden to what's there and it's we're shooting in a real location, so it can't not be real, you know? And I think that's what you get out of shooting on location is that unless you really fuck it up, it's going to feel real. And obviously LED and wireless lighting has come so far in the last like five years that there's just so many options for lighting that on a small scale that can be really like programmable. So we had every light in that, in that practical location was controlled you know, off of an iPad and every shot we could adjust color and brightness and, you know, contrast levels for everything. So it was really fun and it was sort of a challenge, but honestly, I really enjoyed it because there were, you know, in a kitchen, there's just so many ways to light things. And we, we played around a lot with just different practicals and it made it just sort of this really fun, like symphony of different lights that we could adjust for the, for the vibe of the scene. But yeah, we worked a lot with the production designer, Sammy, to, to kind of create opportunities to put lights up. And obviously, we, we had practicals on the wall. We stashed stuff under hood vents. I think we added a window to the location just by, like, making one wall shorter and putting a light behind it. And yeah, we just added practicals wherever we could until it felt too crowded, and then we took away. Do you think as well, like, because you're in an area that doesn't have much natural light do you think that makes it easier or harder to light because if you have like i don't know like a big uh, window on the roof you kind of have to match the lighting of like the day and it could sure play with like how the time works as well yeah i think it's definitely easier not having natural light it's just a lot more consistent and you don't have to fight the daylight and i also find that mimicking daylight uh on a stage can be 
mean, I do it all the time, but I find it to be challenging to do in a way that's really convincing to my eye. I think um, if you're watching a show and you don't know that it's a set, it's easier to get on board. But when I watch something that I've shot that I know is on a stage, it was supposed to be daylight. It's, I'm always cringing because I just know it's not real. Not always cringing, but you know, it's like, you, you know the truth. So it's it's hard not to see it. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes it's like when they're sort of, shoot, I guess it's the same when like when you're shooting like that golden hour and you're chasing the sun constantly, it'd probably be the same with that. And you're kind of got your tail between your legs, sort of, sort of trying to sort out, make sure that even though it might be before midday, you could be shooting the scene at four in the, in the afternoon. Right. Yeah. No, and I think it's, you just have to know, know the material and what, what the priorities are. And in this, in this case, the priorities were getting these incredible performances on camera in a dynamic way and having a controlled space that we could shoot all day and it feel like the same scene was amazing. You know, there are times where shooting magic hour is the most special thing on earth you could possibly do. And you go into it knowing that and knowing how precious that moment is and you brief everybody about it, you know, and the actors know and you're moving quickly and you're probably doing fewer shots, but it's, it's geared towards your priority, which is getting this like incredible moment on camera at the right time of day. But the bear was not about that. Obviously <laughs> the bear, the bear was not a magic hour TV show. You know what I mean? And it, it was about the, I one thing I told people a lot after shooting that was like, the only way I could have fucked up that show was to not get those performances on camera because I think everyone brought so much to it. And I tried my best to go beyond not fucking it up and actually be additive and make something, you know, create a visual language that enhanced the show. And I feel confident that we, we did something like that. But um, at the end of the day, the material is so strong and the actors are so amazing that I just wanted to honor that. Yeah. And I think you're right that, the only way that you could probably not do well is if you can't get the performances, but it's um, worked out very nicely. Yeah, exactly. On top of that, one of my favourite scenes of the episode is actually the opening, and we see Kami walk, Kami walk on the bridge in Chicago towards a bear that's coming out the cage, mm -hmm. and then it cuts slash transitions to him waking up in the kitchen, I, mean, I guess in like a cold sweat. I know like there's a lot of sort of... I know like that the... The transition will happen within the edit but whilst you're shooting something like that where it quickly cuts from one location to the other how do you go about it to make sure that the match cut works for when the editor gets the footage i mean i think it's different for different projects and i think it's also a taste thing and if you watch that transition it's not particularly specific what happens is it's really just a lighting cue you know we're on I think we're on either Carmi's face or the bear's face on the bridge. And then it cuts to spotlight Carmi in the kitchen waking up and the spotlight fades away and the kitchen lights come up. So there's no like actual framing. Like, there's nothing in the framing that's actually similar between the two locations. And it's really just good editing and sound design and a lighting cue that helps connect the two spaces. And I think there's, I think what people take for granted that is like audiences want to get on board with what you're doing. You know, I think people go into things watching them wanting to be on board with whatever you're dishing them. So I think as long as you do it with like confidence and a voice, people are into it. So like, that's a good, to me, a good example of 
something where there was no, like, it feels like a match cut. It feels like a seamless transition, but, you know, I think we went into it with, with intention for sure, because he's coming out of a bad dream, but, you know, we weren't sitting there on set, like necessarily um, pouring over like matching frames or anything like that. We just wanted to take the energy of the bridge scene and use it to transition into the kitchen. Okay, cool. Cause I know that like, well, it, it feels like, it, for me, it feels like a lot of effort went into that sort of bit as well because you have oh, the bear, 100%. the bear that's a um. I think obviously it's VFX because there's no way um yeah. somebody could get that close to a bear without spooking it um especially on camera and whatnot. Yeah. And I've been on that bridge in Chicago as well, so it's uh again there's another thing that would be quite scary for a bear to be on. But then also having that sort of like going from that more calmer moment of like him approaching to the bed to then, you know, snap into, let's get into this madness. I think that was part of it. And it's funny, that sort of energy doesn't really return to the show. That was always sort of like a standalone moment, which I think is kind of beautiful that you open the show with that, but it never really returns. You know, you don't, like you're not in Carmi's dream space uh, very often. It becomes very real very quickly. And so, yeah, I think, I think this is an opportunity to like set the tone for the show and sort of tee something up and then just totally demolish it and throw the character into the fire, which I thought was really fun. You know, it starts out kind of ethereal and abstract and meditative and you think there's something to that. And then it just throws him directly into the shit of him being working at a shitty restaurant and having all these problems. And I thought that was a really fun way to start the show. Um, and yeah, it was very, it was very intentional. I think the bridge was really fun for me because I got to, I really liked that type of filmmaking, this sort of more abstracted, sort of ethereal, meditative stuff. I love that stuff. I think it's really fun to shoot and it's, it really leans on the visuals. And that, that's a place where I feel like, you know, Chris leaned on me to really develop the visual language of the scene. And it was fun to just tee that up and then throw it away and dive right into the insanity of the show. So yeah, there was a lot of intention behind it for sure. I think the transition itself, you know, we were actually, we did think about the transition and the, the biggest part of that transition that we had to figure out was the lighting change. And we played around a lot with that. Actually, we, we went through a few different iterations of how we lit Carmi when he's sleeping and waking up in the kitchen in order to create that transition. And that's something that we had to just, we had to be on set with the crew and just practice it and watch it on camera till it felt right. I think as well, the use of the spotlight is quite clever as that sort of like foreshadowing of like the spotlights always on Carby to make things work. And he's the guy mm. who's yeah. basically running the show as well. Um, right. He is. And especially when they talk about him working on, uh, working in like those fancy restaurants and going to Paris to study as you find out later on in the show. That's another thing as well that he the spotlight's always on him uh, yeah. to run things. But um, what I'm curious about as well is like the cooking scenes, and uh, you you've already alluded to it in terms of like doing takes of people uh, cutting food and the way that they make chop or even drain a colander, for example. But what about when it comes to actually like cooking the food? Because there is a lot of a uh, lot of close ups of like how food is being prepared, how lush it looks, how 
delicious it looks especially in mm-hmm. the first, in the pilot where you have what is it the beef that was in there for longer and you can see it being like oh, seed yeah. and when it gets cut yeah. it's juicy and you're just yeah. like i should not be watching this when i'm hungry um yeah. <laughs> but um how do you go about capturing that and is there sort of like a way that you need to light the food as well so it yeah like the subject is looks better than it actually is totally i think uh with the show I wanted to be careful not to make it look like chef's table. And I think we succeeded in not doing that. And that like that show, you know, a show like chef's table or, you know, any of those food shows, they light food so beautifully and they do such an incredible job, but it's also just not particularly realistic. And I think my balance was making the food look appetizing, but also still making it look like it was in a kitchen. You know, because it's not like a kitchen is not sexy, you know, and when you see food being made in a kitchen, it often doesn't look that amazing until it steps out of the kitchen and gets put on someone's table. And I think that was important. That was like an important distinction to make is that it wanted to look good, but not commercial good. And so for me, that was actually one of the trickiest things that I feel like I could obsess over that forever. (laughs) And some of the shots I was more happy with, some I was less happy with, but it seemed like it worked well for people. And I did definitely light and shoot the food separately, and we talked about it a lot. We did, I made sure that we saw all of the dishes on camera before we shot the show, you know. And we were all kind of figuring it out together because I think, you know, we didn't know exactly what we wanted it to look like. And Maddie Matheson, who was in the show, was also a consultant for how the food was cooked, how the restaurant was run, how everything was set up. And so he would come in and do demos and we would cook together in the kitchen and just see how he made them. And I would watch and see what looked visually interesting and take note of it. So I was kind of always on the lookout for like those key moments where something happens visually that there's a change. You're like, oh shit, that looks good. You know what I mean? I think that's the trick because cooking takes time and it's not like a lot of it is not as, sexy or exciting it's made out to be so for me it was really just about finding those key moments that are those like aha moments when you're cooking where you just feel so excited to be making what you're making yeah a hundred percent and i think you're right in terms of like sometimes cooking is not really that fun and how it looks and feels i think I think the show does make it look so much more appealing and just like, I guess because you see the finished product and you just think like, wow, that looks amazing. I might try to do that myself. And then you realize, actually, I can't do this. I'll just go keep stick to like making omelets and that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, I'm sure like with many people, once they start watching the show, they sort of get more into cooking. So I've started doing more Sunday roasts at home. Cool, I absolutely man. love it. But I, I, I'm a huge cook. I love cooking. And part of why I love cooking is because there's no, it's not part of my work. I feel like if I had to do it as my job, which I've talked about and thought about like a separate career path that I could have been on in my life, I don't think I would enjoy it as much or take as much pleasure out of it. And that could be, that could be wrong, but it, you know, it, it, it can be really stressful for sure. And I think that's what the show is about is just being so passionate about something and the stress that comes with that and finding that balance, which is so resonant for people that work in the film industry. I think, I think our job is so stressful and so chaotic and demands so much of us. And it often 
so thankless, but we do it because we can't really imagine doing anything else. Yeah, exactly. But I'm curious to know as well, like, what was your favorite scene to shoot? My favorite scene? Um, honestly, I really loved shooting the opening. I thought that was so fun. Being able to lock down that bridge in Chicago in the middle of the night. Like, those are the moments that I feel so excited to be doing what I'm doing. It's just cool. I feel like a little kid. I think that was my favorite. And then I think otherwise, some of my favorite scenes were just honestly anything in the kitchen where people were cooking and having a conversation. I loved just that fast paced energy. And there isn't one particular scene that comes into mind. Actually, although I do love, I do love the introduction of Richie when he comes in the first time and everyone's sort of cooking and getting ready just because there was so much coverage happening and so many amazing performances and it felt so chaotic as we were doing it but it was so fun and we were by the, you know, me and Chris were by the monitors and other people were by the monitors. Everyone was just cracking up, like trying not to ruin the take as we were bursting out laughing and the cameras just doing what they were doing, moving. So in such a dynamic way, like that to me felt so fun and so beautiful. And uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of a really memorable part of the process for me. I, I do like the introduction of Richie. I think he's probably my favorite character in the show. Um, yeah, he's amazing. I just think everything that actor does is just incredible in terms of choices and understanding yeah. what the character is. And you do yeah. see them develop quite a lot over the series. And I think, yeah, he is a sort of like fan favorite and I love it. Yeah, he's, Evan is a really talented actor and his arc and the show is amazing. The writing is great. His performance is great. The direction is great. He's a, he's a fun one to watch for sure. 100%. I know if we still have time, are we all right to speak about a little bit about the Honey Drew episode in season two? Yeah, sure. So there's also another episode that you worked on, which is the Honey Drew episode in uh, season two, which is episode four in the second series uh, titled uh, Honeydew, which we follow Marcus in Copenhagen. Now, uh, whilst we were talking about this off off recording, you mentioned that you did a, a, all the Copenhagen stuff, which feels like a very, more of a, how do I say it, like a, like a hangout time, is that we're slightly a fly on the wall on what's happening with Marcus as he's on this journey to better himself as a chef, um, especially when it comes to desserts. And yeah. it feels like we're sort of just like follow, it feels like it's just like you just follow him around for the day and he gets to try all these beautiful uh, desserts. So they'd also live on this really wacky boat. But I feel as well as like a character arc is really sort of giving him that focus really helps as an audience member to understand like his thinking and what he's going through as well. When it comes to being in another country and trying to capture uh, Marcus's story, but also the beauty of a city, how do you go about uh, shooting that? There's something to be said about experiencing a place naively for the first time. And there's a certain discovery and process that happens that's really unique it's kind of like the child brain a little bit and it's sort of magical to be able to witness that and as much as marcus's character was doing that i was doing that as well i had been to, i had been to copenhagen before and shot in copenhagen but it had been a while 
and I didn't spend a lot of time there. And this time I got to spend more time there and explore the city and have a little bit more access. So for me, it was fun to be a visitor and a bit of a tourist. You know, I took pleasure and curiosity and a lot of things that I think people that live there wouldn't necessarily notice. And so I think that's really fun. And when I first read the script, I kind of expected there to be more of a conflict in the episode or something, you know, more dramatic in it. And there wasn't. And at first I was almost disappointed. And then I realized as I, since I trust these filmmakers so much, I was like, okay, what am I missing? And I realized a big part of it was just the simplicity of, finding inspiration and putting yourself in new situations and appreciating that and carrying that with you. And so I tried to take that energy with me and yeah, just shoot the city as beautifully as I could experience it as best I could. And we also did work with a couple of local DPs to help us shoot the episode who did an incredible job of capturing the city. Jasper Spanning, who's a local DP, shot a lot of the B-roll and he did an incredible job shooting that, shooting in city. Um, I was sort of just blown away by the footage and the B-roll in the show ended up being a mix of both of our footage, but Jasper shot hours worth of just really gorgeous shots of the city. And that was, it was fun to see a local's perspective. And he actually texted me after seeing the episode and uh, he said, you know, it's funny how a single day of shooting can, completely alter how you see the city and really inspire you. So I think he even got to see his city in a different way. I think it's quite fascinating to hear about locals shooting their own cities. I think they, they, because we're so, you're so used to being in a certain place and seeing what a place is like, you forget the sort of magic behind it and why you like being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're seeing it through another sort of childlike, it was a childlike point of view then you probably ex- get to explore it once again and be like oh wow actually this place is quite cool i've never been here i've never done this it's the same with like living in london when tourists come over um, to visit you and you have to take them to london and there's places that you've never been or really thought about and you think oh yeah wait a second the city that i do live in is really cool totally yeah no it definitely sheds a new light on on places and I've, I've had that experience working in new york where i used to live having to shoot B-roll or footage of it and thinking I knew the city, but then just seeing it in a completely different light and being totally inspired by it. Yeah, and it's, it just, there's always like a weird, new, different meaning to it. And you just, I guess you probably appreciate it more in a weird way, but then also at the same time, you just think like, wow, like I'm very lucky to be here as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and the same with even um, being able to go to all those food places as well and sort of experience uh those desserts that have come <laughs> yeah. through like yeah. um that was amazing did, did you guys ever get to whilst you're not you stop shooting sort of help yourselves and get yourself one or two things as well oh 100 percent. and the scouting process was literally us just walking around the city eating things so that was that was a big part of it and i think that's a perk but it's also something that's just necessary to do in terms you know like eating the food made me appreciate it that much more maybe want to photograph it that much more beautifully yeah and i can imagine as well just being like oh we're not going to shoot here because we didn't like the food here but we'll uh we'll go <laughs> to this place instead uh which i can also imagine it's a bit uh 
it could be quite fun. But I think uh, what you were mentioning about before as well, like how uh, when you had the script, it's like, oh, what am I missing here? And then sort of taking the time to actually realize what the case is with it, with something like, there's always, I guess, with something like the bear, there's like, there's always a reasoning why this is happening, but then it's what the focus of the episode is going to be and how you can, how you can, um, you know, capture it and make mm-hmm. the best best episode possible. Mm-hmm. Totally. Just to hit with my final question, you mentioned before that you you like cooking, um, and you're very much into it. What would be your signature dish to cook? Just in general. Uh, yeah. Right. Surprise me. Surprise me. <laughs> well, I I have a wood fired oven in my backyard, and I do a lot of cooking in that. So. I guess, I don't know, tonight I'm probably going to cook some salmon because steelhead's in season right now and salmon and probably some potatoes, smashed potatoes, kind of Francis Malman style, and then going to roast some eggplant and I might do like a uh, butter and miso glaze on that. So I like simple things done really well and that's sort of where i thrive as a very amateur cook <laughs> so that's my plan for tonight okay i think you've kind of made my tummy rumble and i'm glad the microphone's not near there uh, adam thank you very much for your time today the bear is streaming yeah, now you. on disney plus and hulu and um, if you haven't seen it go out and watch it if you have i would say watch it again and just savor that those episodes Cool. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You take care and bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.